Today, our podcast is on what can be done for thinning hair. This topic is an important one as hair loss affects everyone to some degree at different ages. If you are concerned about hair loss or thinning hair, you are not alone. Beautify.com asked Dr. Rebecca Bax, board certified dermatologist and medical director of Bax Cosmetical in Paramus, New Jersey, to discuss this important topic. Dr. Bax specializes in medical and cosmetic dermatology and has years of experience in successfully treating hair loss in both men and women. I'm pleased to welcome Dr. Bax to Beautify.com's podcast. Thank you so much. Well, we're going to begin with our first question is how much hair loss is normal and how do you know? Uh, the hair loss that is normal is about 130 to 140 hairs a day. Now, that is a great number, but it's very hard to determine if that's happening to you or not. But what we suggest if you do feel like you're having rapid hair loss is to actually collect all the hairs that you lose in a given day. So in your brush, in the comb, on your sweater or your sweatshirt, on the car, on your pillowcase, in the shower drain, and stick all those hairs into a baggie and do that once a day for seven days in a row. And then when you have a free hour or two, actually sit and count the hairs, which is quite annoying, but <laughs> is a very effective way to figure out if you're having active loss or not. So you count the hairs, add it all up and divide by seven to get an average for the day over a one week period of time. And if you're over 130, 140, you're getting to 150 and even higher up into the 200s, that is an active loss situation. I find a lot of times people have an episode of hair loss, whether it's telogen effluvium from a stressful situation, very common post COVID or post uh, delivering a baby or post uh, sometimes after you have a big operation and then you have a massive amount of hair loss, but that usually quiets down over a couple of months and then the hair starts to grow back, but it's a very traumatic experience when you have that rapid hair loss and people almost get PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder from the rapid hair loss. And so then they think that their normal loss, which is over a hundred hairs a day is abnormal. And that's when hair counts can be very helpful. When you just sort of bring in a big like glob of hair from the bottom of the shower drain, that's very variable because if you haven't washed your hair in five days, you're going to lose a lot when mm -hmm. you wash it. If you wash your hair every day, you're going to lose less on a daily basis. So really, um, if you were concerned, it is best to do hair counts and you have to average it over a week. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I was uh, looking at some data and found that uh, the American Hair Loss Association says that by age 50, about 85% of men are balding. So does that hair count or hair loss apply dif differently to men than to women? Well, the condition that they're talking about there when they say balding and you know such, such a high percentage of men, that condition is called androgenetic alopecia, AGA. And it happens to men and women, but it affects people differently. Men will tend to recede at their temples and then develop over time, a lot of them a bald spot or a thinning spot in the back. Some people go, some men go totally bald on the whole top of their heads. This of course does not happen to everybody, but that is the natural progression of that condition, AGA in a man. 
Typically, that is a relatively slower progression. There are some people who get it at a very young age, by 18 to 20, you're already starting to see the signs of it. And there's other people who get it much later and it can be mild and it can be severe. So it's very variable. But women, the same condition affects women, but women tend to just thin up top. So the whole mm -hmm. top of their head just becomes thinner. And women very rarely get balding. It, you know, almost never. Um, that's a very, very very severe case, but there's a lot of women women with uh, thinning on the top of their head. So it's the same condition. It affects both men and women. It's very common. It can be anywhere from the late teenage years all the way up until any age of life. There are, you know, precious few people who get none of it. Um, most people get some of it at some point mm -hmm. in time, but that is a slowly progressing disease for the most part. So when you're talking about losing a massive amount of hair and counting the number of hairs that you're losing, it's usually more something that's very active and rapid, such as a telogen effluvium that I was mentioning where it's rapid hair loss after a very stressful bodily situation, um, or could be alopecia areata, which is an autoimmune disease where it can have a sudden onset and lose big clumps of hair, which can be very scary, um, but sort of very slowly progressing and genetic alopecia I mean, the hair counts are, are usually within normal limits. They could go up a little bit, but it, it's gonna be hard to detect that because you'd have to do hair counts over a very long period of time and nobody has time for that. So if you see that you're getting recession and thinning and balding, whatever terms you wanna use, best to seek medical advice with a board certified dermatologist who, you know, we all dermatologists have been trained in hair loss issues. We take care of skin, hair, and nails. So that's who you'd want to see for it. But I don't know that I would go crazy doing hair counts if that is the condition. So if they were to come in to see you because they are concerned about balding or thinning hair, what steps do you take? Is there a diagnostic, diagnostic process? Well, typically it is very easy to diagnose on clinical exam because it's what I said. The men are receding a little bit in the front. Uh, they get a little bit thin up top. It's you know mild to moderate to severe and the women get thinning up top. And that clinical presentation anywhere from mild to moderate to severe is that diagnosis. However, if it is unclear, then we would do a scalp biopsy. And that is what something that we use to diagnose what is causing hair loss for many different conditions. And that is a, a minor surgical procedure where we just numb up the skin, clean, numb, clean the skin, numb up the skin with a little local anesthesia, take a teeny tiny punch biopsy, put one or two stitches in, and then voila, seven to 10 days later, we get a reading from the pathologist that can really tell us what is causing that hair loss. I actually had a case recently of a woman who had hair loss in the way back of her head and the lower aspect of her scalp and it was very atypical and i did a scalp biopsy and it confirmed angenetic alopecia which is not what i thought it was going to be so i typically will do a scalp biopsy when i cannot diagnose it clinically and i'm unsure or i'm trying to figure out what type of hair loss it is in terms of and i know in terms of putting someone on a medication uh, but most people with aga angenetic alopecia it's a clinical diagnosis I'm going to also like to mention when someone comes in for a consult on hair loss, sometimes we also do blood work. So mm -hmm. sometimes we do blood work, make sure there's nothing wrong with the hormone levels, thyroid disease and anemia can play a role with hair loss. So sometimes we will do blood work to also help determine the cause. Um, but really it's a, it's a, um, 
evaluation from top to bottom, the history of the hair loss, the physical exam, a family history can play a role. Um, you know, what, what does it look like? Do we need to do a, a hair biopsy? Do we need to do hair counts? So it's a complex consultation, but we can always find an answer. There's always, there's always an answer as to what type of hair loss it is. Well, that's, that's reassuring to know because I don't know a, a man or a woman alive who isn't concerned about hair loss. So once you have your diagnosis, what treatment protocols are available? So if we're talking about androgenetic alopecia, AGA, which is the most common hair loss, which affects you know, millions of men and women. Uh, for men, typically I will do the consultation starting with a topical Rogaine, topical minoxidil, it's over the counter, it's 5%. It comes in a liquid or a foam, try to get them to use it twice a day if possible. It's annoying, but it can be effective. Um, we also will talk about finasteride pills, brand name Propecia, um, it gets a, sometimes a bad rap on the internet because there are some side effects, but it is pretty well tolerated by most people. So I will go through the risks and benefits of that medication. If they want to take it, we can give them that pill. Um, we, if, you know, it's severe, they can certainly go for hair transplantation, even sometimes when it's not severe. I had a young man come in recently and he really was just bothered by his recessing in his temples. And he went for hair transplantation surgery where they take hairs out of the back of your head and move them to the mm -hmm. front. And he did great and he looks great. So hair transplantation surgery is an, is a option as well as PRP or platelet rich plasma therapy, which is experimental, but is pretty well accepted as a good treatment for androgenetic alopecia in both men and women. Um, and basically we take the blood out of the arm, a big tube of it, we spin it down, take out the red cells and the white cells and we're left with the plasma. We concentrate the plasma a little bit to get platelet rich plasma, which has a lot of growth factors into it. We inject it back into the affected areas of the scalp. I will typically do it once a month for anywhere between four and five months in a row and then try to get people on maintenance therapy of maybe twice a year. There are some people with severe cases who come every three months and that works for a lot of people. Uh, one other thing I'd like to mention would be the laser caps and the laser combs. They are available on the internet. They're LLLT, low level laser therapy. They have been shown to have some small effect on hair growth. So I usually recommend a combination of things because if everything gives you a little bit of an improvement, then boom, 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 you do three different things. And then all of a sudden you get significant improvement because it works sort of in conjunction with each other. Um, any one thing by itself, I find doesn't work as well as when you do multiple things together. The trouble with doing multiple things together all at the same time is you never know what's working. So I will typically do step therapy, depending on how severe the case is for androgenetic alopecia and start with topical Rogaine and a laser cap or laser comb, and then sort of see where we're at in six months and then determine, should we start a course of PRP? Do they need hair transplantation surgery? Um, there's also oral minoxidil. So Rogaine can be given orally. That is another medication. And there's also dutasteride, which is a cousin of finasteride. So there are a lot of treatment options. There's also a lot of snake oil being sold mm. on the internet. And it is important to not waste much time and money. Um, we will sometimes recommend ketoconazole shampoo, which sometimes can be useful. I find a lot of people um, when they 
start worrying about hair loss, they stop washing their hair because it makes them so traumatized to wash their hair and, and see it fall out. And then their scalp gets greasy and flaky, which is seborrheic dermatitis. So I will typically have to treat that for a lot of these patients, which is dandruff shampoos, um, ketoconazole being one of them. Um, and then for women, it's a similar, it's a similar treatment protocol, topical Rogaine. The one for women is FDA approved at once a day. Some women will use it at twice a day. It comes in 2% and 5%. I usually recommend the 5%. Uh, we talk about the laser cap and laser comb for women. I will more likely do blood work, um, make sure that they don't have a hormonal imbalance because women can sometimes take, if they have a hormonal imbalance, spironolactone pills, aldactone. It's an oral blood pressure medication, which is used off label for hair tr treatments to help hair grow. And spironolactone is a good option for women. Oral minoxidil, like I mentioned for men is also an option for women, although oral minoxidil can cause hair growth elsewhere. So that is sort of not a fun side mm -hmm. effect for women. Um, and it's the same thing with PRP. Women are also sometimes candidates for hair transplantation surgery. So really it's trying to figure out the diagnosis, what is causing the hair loss, what are the treatment options, what should be done first. And it's very patient dependent because some patients don't have the money to spend on PRP, which is experimental and, um, and expensive. And some people cannot tolerate the discomfort. It's a little uncomfortable. Some people would prefer PRP because it is all natural. They don't want to take pills. So there's different treatments for different people. And it's, uh, you know, you have to sort of tailor the treatment program for the patient and what their issues are. So it's a, a, there's a lot of treatments available and that's the thing that people should really take home messages. These things are treatable and we can improve them and it is worth seeking medical attention with a board certified dermatologist who knows about hair loss. Well, that's excellent advice. A whole lot of um, opportunity out there to take care of hair loss. Um, I was wondering though, how you treat your hair or wearing hair caps, does that affect hair loss or what advice can you give? What, what do you mean by hair caps? Um, caps on your head, baseball caps. Oh, hats? Yes. Uh, just like a hat of any variety? Yes. I don't, I mean, listen, if you wear a hat or a wig, for example, 24 seven, 365, and there's like no, a lot of pressure on your head and no breathing room, I mean, is it possible that that could cause hair loss in the long run, but it would take a very long time. That is not typically something that I worry about, but you know, most people aren't wearing those things 24 seven. One thing that can play a role though is very tight ponytails or very tight braids. Again, if they're worn for many, many months and years, you can get something called traction alopecia where you start to lose hair, it's typically in the front of the scalp, um, although it can be elsewhere as well. So it's just good to give your scalp a rest of whatever the tight thing is, whether it's braids or whether it's a hat or a very tight ponytail, it's good to let the scalp breathe. So I would say it's best not to do those things all the time. Well, that's excellent advice. I really appreciate hearing that because you can often follow, you know, celebrities and they have long hair and extensions and they're always doing crazy things to their hair. But this is excellent advice and I'm sure our listeners have learned a lot from you. Thank you, Dr. Bax. My pleasure.